Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Scott Howe here with my great co-host. I'm Jim Bennett. We're doing it again here, yes, Scott. Yes, we are. Look, there must be something wrong with them. If they invited us to come in twice, this is amazing. I understand. And last time they texted, somebody texted in and said we were unlistenable. <laughs> So I figured they wanted more unlistenable radio on KSL. We're here with the great uh, Robin Garfield, one of the fabulous producers that you could ever imagine. But before we start today, I want to thank Lester, a park place, uh, parking lot across the street, who accommodated me today. Lester, you're the man, and I really appreciate it. Because <laughs> I would have been really late. He said, come on in. You look like you're in a hurry. Oh, good for Lester's Lester. the man. So Utah Jazz, Lester's the man. Robin. Let's start with you today. Are we doing? Are we going right off the top? Let's just go right off the top. Well, l- let's just take a second here. Um, the ballots went out yesterday, Jim. Yes, and everybody got a ballot. Yes. Robin, did you get yours? Have you? We, we just got home from a trip last night, so I need to go through the big stack of mail that's sitting on my counter. Probably. Okay, so ballots are out there, and we want to give all you candidates running for municipal elections, uh, whether it's for the mayor or for the city council or whatever it is, an opportunity to to let us know why we should vote for you. And if you'll call in at 801-575-7668 and leave a message, we'll get get you on the air. Um, And boy, what a way to save money. I'll tell you what, that's... uh, Free airtime. That's what every candidate dreams of. It is. It is. I can speak to that. But um, again, that's area code 801 Five seven five seven six six eight. Call in and uh, tell us why we should vote for you. All right, Robin. Let's start today. Okay, let's do this. I've got you know how to pick a, a set of headlines from this week. There's so many things, and Dave and Debbie talked about some of the big Utah ones this morning with that train. Oh boy! Oh, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen Rack, in my life. That was yeah. insane. I mean, I I hope that goes national. I hope that that becomes like the feel good. Yeah, story this, of the this week. cop that rescues a guy just seconds before he's about to get smashed by a train. It Ruben, was you're our hero. Yeah. Wherever you are, Ruben, thank you for having was, the courage to leave. I could barely watch it. You know, you watch the, the dash cam video and it just... Like, Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's the headlines I pulled. Some are national, some are local, and some are pop culture related. So we'll Ooh. go quickly. Oh, so my you each, favorite. So you each have about... Let's, let's take 20, <laughs> 20 seconds-ish to respond to these. 
Again, you can always say pass if you don't want to. Do, what do we win if we get it right? You win the ability to stay for the rest of the show. <laughs> oh, good. All right. There's, there's armed guards <laughs> waiting to escort us out. And, and uh, Robin is the producer speaks well <laughs> because she can make that happen or not happen. Yeah, we so. always joke we have an eject button on one of the seats. Nice. We'll just pop you out of it. All right. Here's the first one. This is interesting. The Mexican Senate is set to pass a bill to legalize marijuana in that country in the next few days uh, down south of the border. Any thoughts on Mexico legalizing cannabis in the great country of Mexico? I already thought it was legal. Um, yeah, I thought they shipped it all over here to us. Uh, so according I, to President Trump, they're all drug dealers down yeah. there, right? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, uh, I, I guess, and is it beyond medical use? It's just recreational? Yeah, they're oh going to open it up. Well, um, uh, maybe they'll have a little more mellow time down there and they enjoy staying on that side of the border. And I think it's been like, it isn't in the U.S. I don't think it's been super illegal. You know, it's been <laughs> illegal. We it's right. been somewhat right. illegal. But, yeah. yeah. It's more of a guideline yeah. than a law. So the next one is uh, still related to um, some issues with me- uh, the, the Mexican government. Democrats have been protesting the $200 million uh, allotment and additional border wall transfers, money for the wall. Uh, Democrats aren't happy with $200 million that well, have been asked for. Utah shouldn't be happy because it takes money away from Hill Air Force Base. That is the big problem on that. I mean, that's money out of our hip pocket uh, to all of our friends and colleagues in Ogden and uh, Hill Air Force Base. It's just crazy. It, it, it's crazy. Well, the whole funding of the wall is really ridiculous because we already have a great deal of fencing and, and barriers, natural barriers and artificial barriers that have been put up over the years. And all of this is window dressing just to satisfy Trump's base. And I think uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney has come out against this with, like you were yes. saying, Scott, some of the, the monies that have been pulled from Hill Air Force Base. And other- they, they hurt us. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's for the new fighter jets. And that's really what it was all about. And uh, I can't believe our delegation isn't strongly going after him. Right. Uh, forget I Democratic can believe Republic. our delegation isn't well, strongly going should, after him. Well, they should be. Uh, yeah, they should be. And that, that's the problem. Forget you're putting party over politics. Right. And that's crazy. Yeah. Right. All right. This one's local to home. Uh, another kind of thick one. And then I've got some lighter ones. Uh, vaping illnesses. This has been at the top of of uh, national stories. Utah's vaping illness count hits 83 amid national outbreak. Thoughts on... Hits 83 total? We've only had 83 illnesses since the beginning of vaping? Since, yeah, amid national outbreak. Vaping illness, ones that have been reported at hospitals. Okay. Well, the the idea that vaping is somehow a safe thing is, I, I think, I don't know that there's anybody that believes that anymore. So, uh, I, mean, I I thought the number was higher. I thought the number would have been higher. I'm a little draconian on this. I'm the guy who sponsored the bill to do away with smoking in restaurants. I am anti-tobacco. I am anti-vaping. And if I was the mayor, I'd say no more vape shops in the city of Salt Lake. There you go. And and I, I'll vote for you. As the, <laughs> as the producer, am I allowed to weigh in on this one? Absolutely, okay, yes. I will, I will give my quick take on this. I actually am in the, in the opposite boat. I just think anything we do from 8 a.m. in the morning till midnight is going to be harmful. I don't know if there's anything more dangerous about vaping than anything else. It's just the amount people are doing it. If you do it once or twice a day, probably fine. And if you're doing it in place of smoking a cigarette, I'd hate to see us pull way back on vaping and have well, a bunch of Well, it certainly people, smells better. Yeah. Go back to smoking 
That's smoke. The See, that's why Robin could run run against me and win <laughs> because she has the better answer on that. I'm a little draconian on it. I want people healthy, happy, and right. I just think anything you do, if you eat an apple, if you eat apples from eight a.m. in the morning until midnight, you're going to get sick or chocolate or, or chocolate or anything. Yeah, and the yeah. people who there is a, a an overuse of, of well, vaping, but, I, but I think vaping was sold. I think particularly to younger users as a safe alternative mm-hmm. to smoking, and I don't think that's actually true. Yeah, and there's it always you know once or twice a day or once or twice a week. Even right. it's probably fine, but all day, every day, anything's going to send you to the hospital. Okay, I change my answer. I go with Robin. Okay. <laughs> well, otherwise great. you get ejected. So, uh-huh. okay, so that, that that was a smart move. Uh, all right, I've got two left, and these are both entertainment related. This is oh, my nice. area specialty. Oh, One, uh, and we were chatting about this earlier. Uh, if anybody caught Saturday Night Live, they did a, a really funny sketch on the presidential a vice or no it was the president democratic presidential democratic debate. presidential debate yeah. um did I, I know scott you said you haven't seen it yet no. um, yeah i saw it you saw it pete Buttigieg doesn't know where to put his arms <laughs> they didn't tell me at harvard what i'm supposed to do with my arms <laughs> thought that was very funny it was it was really funny uh scott you should go check it out it i is. am a big snl fan i really am i've been since i was 12 years yeah. old I, I just think it's great well, and like you said, uh, Jim, they, they took shots at, at They all took the shots candidates. at everybody. Yeah, I didn't think anybody made I it I thought off. Kate McKinnon's Elizabeth Warren was unbelievably so brilliant. Was she so says, you know, I've been, I ate some apple slices backstage and they hit me like cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's fair game on that. That's everybody's what I love about game. it. Because they, they, everybody's fair game. Yeah. All yeah. right. I had the last one. We have about a minute left, guys. And this is a breaking story Ooh. right out of Entertainment Weekly. Hold on to your seats. Britney Spears has gone blonde again. Oh, she was brunette. Yeah, she just posted a picture on Instagram. Biggest story of the day: Britney's back to blonde. I didn't even think she was back to singing. I haven't heard anything from Britney Spears. Well, for she years. did her her residency in Vegas. Yeah, but didn't that end early? I have didn't no she? Idea. I, I thought she crashed and burned on that. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I just um, know she's blonde. Just so I can weigh in now. Remind me who Britney Spears. There you go. <laughs> That's the right answer. Okay. Right. See, she's my age, <laughs> oh, and she was the she was the the singer of of my you know high school junior high, yeah. and went yeah. through her whole major. Craft she's way life. too young to be the has been that she is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's young. That is that's young. Way young. Thank you. Well, she but she hit big when she was in her teens. Like, oh, really? Oh, like 15, 16. 16. She, yeah, and that's why she started off. Oops, yeah, a little, I did it again. Yeah, too and, young, and but anyway, uh, she's blonde. Hit me, again. baby, uh-huh. one more time. Oh, yeah, all these all these ones. Anyway, that that's the big news story of the day. You guys passed. With nice. flying colors, you are so kind. Tell us what's coming up next, and uh, get us get us into the break. Well, we're looking at a whole bunch of things to talk about. When we come back from our break, actually, we're going to have a visit from Eliza Bennett, who is my co-host of the uh, podcast Dinner Table Politics. So we're going to be looking up for that. We're bringing youth into the program bringing today. Bringing youth into the program. If you want to participate in the program, you can call. Text your comments to 57500 on the Utah Community Credit Union text line. We love nasty texts. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. So say something nasty to us, and we'll be really happy about it. And don't forget, candidates, here's your chance. 801-575-7668. Call and tell us why we should vote for you. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Jim Bennett, and I'm here with the mighty Scott Howell. <laughs> Thank host. you, Jim. 
Glad. I appreciate that. You know, we haven't gotten any nasty texts. I asked for nasty texts, and nobody out there wants to say anything nasty to us. Somebody sent us a, a text in Chinese. Now, that's a real good joke. We know what you're saying. Yeah. You just don't want us to read it. So. Yeah, we, yeah it, th- there's some dirty words in there <laughs> yeah. in Chinese. I yeah, don't right. Know. Well, uh, if you text your comments to 57500 on the Utah Community Credit Union text line, we'll be sure to read you out here on the air. Uh, also, we want to remind candidates that we are offering a service of free airtime for you. If you call in and leave a voice a voicemail, uh, we will do our best to read it on air. It's Call in at 801-575-7668. But we have a very special guest. She is actually a KSL radio host along with me because we have a podcast called Dinner Table Politics where I sit and talk to my daughters about politics and they tell me what an idiot I am. And KSL actually broadcasts the podcasts on Sunday afternoons at 5 o'clock. But, uh, Scott, you, have you met my daughter, Eliza? I have. You uh, met her up on Capitol Hill. She worked for the president of the Senate. And right. And what a talented, bright uh, – I mean, she was unbelievable. And I know President Adams really appreciated her. She right. did a phenomenal job. And I have to tell the audience, I've listened to Jim's podcast, and if you want to put a smile on your face and brighten up your day and – have a spiritual experience. <laughs> a spiritual experience. <laughs> on, on the Sabbath. Listen to his podcast because uh, his daughters are full of life. Liza, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you over the session? Have you recovered yet? Oh, I, it's been a couple months and I think I'm finally recovering, finally getting sleep back. It, it, can you give the audience just a snippet of what the intensity is, especially that last week of what goes on up at the Utah State Legislature? Oh, it is it is a wild ride. We during most of the session we were getting there around seven thirty and at the end of session that last week we were probably getting there around six thirty AM and staying until nine PM and just going hard during that entire period of time. So it's it's some long days, but it's really worth it. Well, Eliza, are you still pretending to be a Republican like you were when you were working up there? No, I don't think I'm as closeted of a Democrat as I was when I was working. <laughs> she, she, she kept saying, I have to pretend I'm a Republican all the time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, no matter what she was, she did an outstanding job. You know, Liza, we wanted to bring you on today. How do we get your colleagues to vote? What do we do to get them to show interest in the mayoral election in Salt Lake City, where a lot of these kids are going up to the university, the city makes decisions? What, what do we do? What, what does it take to get you to vote? Not you specifically, um, but well, people like you. Get, yes, people like me to get to get college students to turn out, or how you get the people who are currently turning out to vote. All the above for you. All the above. Um, I think to get people to get college students to turn out, especially. Uh, yeah, I just think you have to show them that what they're voting on, like, will affect them. I think that's the biggest thing, especially for local elections. I've just talked to so many people who don't understand how much a mayor election can affect them. Um, They're not following it closely at all. Yeah. I'm down at BYU, and we saw this a lot um, with the elections last year because we had some city council up for election who was going to change the Provo housing guidelines and just things that the apartments had to require. And that's something that every student has to deal with. And so I just think making college students aware that local elections affect them and that voting them is important and will change their lives. Um, 
But in terms of getting the vote, I think just showing, I think candidates showing that they are thinking about the college students and that they are aware that the policies they make are going to affect us for the rest of our lives. And so they need to make sure they're not just doing what's best for Utah right now, but what's best for Utah's future. Well, in Provo, though, the challenge is that a lot of these BYU students aren't registered to vote in Provo. Yeah. I mean, you're registered to vote where we live in Salt Lake County. You're not registered down there, correct? No, I'm not registered in Provo. Mostly because you I are now registered. In Provo. No, I'm not. You're not. I okay. should be, but I haven't changed it. And my poli sci professors would probably get mad at me for that because <laughs> they always say the only reason not to change your voter registration to where you're living now is if you're trying to keep in-state residency. Residency, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I, no matter where I put my residency, it would still be Utah. So there's not a real reason for me not to register to vote down here. But Eliza, what are the top? Haven't changed yet. What are the top three uh, issues that you're most concerned about, and what your co- colleagues are concerned about, and everything's on the table because even in a city election, you know, you hear people ask them about the abortion issue. They right. ask them about. Uh, all the moral issues, and then they ask them about taxes. But what what would you say are the top three issues you and your colleagues are most concerned about right now? And this isn't just a local. List. No, this is no. just overall. Yeah, just overall. Yeah, um, I would say probably climate change, um, debt, and healthcare are probably the ones that I talk about the most and think about the most. Um, just because those are the ones that I think all of us can see right now. Um, with climate change, I think that's a really big discussion, especially among people my age. And so I think everyone is kind of looking at that. And then student debt has become a, a Oh, so when you say so, debt, you're not talking about national debt. You're talking about student debt. No, we're talk- I'm talking about student debt. I'm talking about all the presidential um, movements to wipe student debt. But there, are also, there were also bills up in the uh, Utah legislature that affected my scholarship. Um, and, so, and then healthcare. We're just all entering a period of time where it we're getting closer to having to get off our parents. Luckily, I'm a little further than that. <laughs> but I think those are issues that we're all we all pay a lot more attention to because those have the possibility to affect us in really big ways. Well, you know, you're, you're going to stay on our health care for a while, so. But I can understand all of that. Although I, I think on our podcast we're going to have to push back on some of these things. Uh, because climate change doesn't register on any national list of overall voters. Climate change is somewhere near the bottom. Uh, but you think it's it's near the top of young voters. I Yeah, I think, um, I think it's one of the topics that no matter who I'm talking to, um, and at BYU is a very conservative college, but no matter who I'm talking to, I think it's something that people realize is an issue. And BYU has been hosting the different political affairs society. We've all been hosting these climate change forums on campus. And so I think it's an issue that young people especially are really tuned into because we know we're the ones who have to live with the earth for longer. You know, uh, it's interesting to to listen to you uh, because you're so articulate and so smart, and I think you do represent. And I think a smart smart politician, Jim, would emphasize climate change on any audience that they had, but especially in that millennial group. And and uh, Eliza, did you watch the Democratic debate last night by any chance, or catch snippets of it, Eliza? Oh, I caught some snippets of it. There, it didn't seem like there was much climate change talk, though. There wasn't any. I've, there wasn't. There wasn't any. Uh-uh. Oh, that's a bummer. Who who would you if you had to vote right this minute for a Democrat? Uh, She's not backing your guys, no. Scott. Just so I'm warning <laughs> yeah. you in advance. I that's don't know okay. that you're going to like her answer. That's okay. That's okay. I like honest answers. Who, who would you support? List your top three. 
Oh, my top three. Uh-huh. Um, my top three are probably Elizabeth Warren, um, Pete Buttigieg, and Cory Booker. Those are probably my top three right Biden now. Biden didn't make it anywhere near He didn't near make there. that, yeah. Uh, does it worry you at all, Liza, because you, you understand the appropriations process really well. Does it bother you that Elizabeth Warren hasn't come out and, and specifically said how to pay for all this and where taxes will be raised and – and I mean, they're all great programs to pay off student debt and all that. But where does the money come from? And does that bother you at all? Um, she It worries me slightly, but there is her major proposal for collecting money is this uh, billionaire tax. Um, but it doesn't worry me completely because I don't think I don't think anyone completely knows how to pay for these things. But I think having these big dreams and these big goals will get us somewhere. I don't think. If uh, Elizabeth Warren got elected today, every single one of her policy proposals would get adopted because that's not how government works. She doesn't she she doesn't control the legislature, even though the executive branch currently has changed the dynamic there. But I think we would see a lot more compromise than she is currently touting. So I think these big dreams are a good starting off point, And then I think the legislature will take the Congress will take it from there and we'll figure out what happens. So well, that's I, why it doesn't worry me. Well, I, I haven't watched any of the Democratic debates. I like to tell people I don't hate myself enough to put myself through three hours of watching politicians talk about the same thing over and over again. But the thing that I find so frustrating, because I am not a Trump supporter, and we're going to talk quite a bit about impeachment later in the show, uh, but I, I listen to Democrats, and I hear the pie-in-the-sky stuff, and I hear I mean, Bernie Sanders, the, the things he wants to do would cost more money than exists on planet Earth. To actually fully you can, implement. You can say that, but Bernie Sanders does have, he's a release proposal on how to pay for everything. So he's at least thinking that far. Uh, <laughs> yeah, th- Eliza, you are one of the smartest people, and I want you to commit right now to run for office. Will you run for well, office someday? I cannot commit right now to run for office someday. She will, though. Oh, no. I, no. I can commit on her behalf. I'm Thank pretty you. sure she will. Thank you very much. You are, uh, you're so smart, and it was a pleasure to work with you, and I know the whole legislature appreciated your good, great work up there. And as you know, working oh. for the president of the Senate, that is a tough assignment. You know, she put a blue light bulb in his University of Utah lamp <laughs> that I think is still there. So that, that was her big accomplishment. So anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about a number of other fun things. But be sure to text us at 57500. Uh, the time is now 1 o'clock. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Jim Bennett, and I'm here with Scott Howell. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jim. What a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Well, what a pleasure to be with you. You are just amazing, and your family. You know, a lot of <laughs> DNA there, man. I'll tell you what, it's been my privilege to know all of them, so it's great. You know, Jim, you've probably been reading a lot about the new resource centers, the homeless shelter and and what's going on. And there was an article in the last couple of days with regards to um, not enough beds for the women's shelter. Uh, Greg Hughes, who really was the author and the impetus for Operation Rio Grande and the leader in changing the face of homelessness, um, he's joining us now. Mr. Speaker, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, We uh, Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to happy to call in. How, how's life after being the speaker? 
Uh, you know what? It's uh, I'm sitting out here in the cheap seats watching all the all the fun stuff going on. I can't I can't get in the game. I'm watching it. Um, it you know what? It's actually, honestly it's been a good breather. I I was a public servant uh, in our legislature for 16 years, and it it tends to the more you know, the more you do. So it's been good. It's been good to uh, be away from it. It gives you a healthy perspective as well of public policy and watching what others are watching. You're not privy to the meetings and things like that. So it's, it's been good. It's uh, a mixed bag. I'm a little ADD. I want to get involved, and I'm, I'm not. But uh, Do you find yourself been, shouting at the TV overall. screen every once in a while? What's that? Do you find yourself shouting at the TV screen every once in a while? Oh, absolutely I do. I, I mean, my wife is like, don't you have a meeting? Isn't there a <laughs> Because it's, you know, I thought I was being missed all these years. But no, I... Uh, as long as you're still here, can you just take out the garbage? <laughs> I know. Seriously, the Honeydew list is next year. I got a lot more work to be done. So I'm not very good at it. But, but I, uh, no, I get frustrated. I watch it. I read the paper, and I watch the news. And, and you know, I, I have friends that are, I'm, all my colleagues that I've served with and those that I worked with on, on this issue, on Operation Rio Grande and, that, and the resource centers, I'm able to call, and they, they'll be good enough to call me back, or we, we can still talk about these uh, issues as I have questions, just to kind of, I feel like I'm uh, mother henning it a little bit as I want to understand better how the transition's going along. So, yeah, but it's, uh, it's tough to watch it from the outside, I'll tell you. Mr. Speaker, tell us a little bit about this uh, situation on the overflow and uh, the press would have one believe that uh, there weren't enough beds or there's not enough beds. What's the reality uh, of what's going on out there when it comes to the number of beds and the resource centers? And where are we on that? So, we, you know, Scott, we really wanted to see um, the transition take place. And we put it in statute. We felt so strongly about it. We put it in the, into the bill and the statute that passed into law that June 30th of 2019 would be the date that we would, that we would transition from the old model uh, in the downtown shelter to a to the three resource centers, which uh, provides resources, services, and house placement uh, for those that are in need. And uh, and the reason that date was important was because that is a t- that time of year is a low bed count year. And so, if you need a runway to get your new model up and running, uh, it's better to do it when the the demand for those beds are not as high. Uh, there are a, a myriad of reasons why that that was not that didn't happen. Uh, it's admittedly true that we had a wet wind uh, spring. We had some construction uh, over overruns, but we also had some other uh, administrative uh, shortcomings. When I say I see, I keep saying we guys. I'm, it's not, <laughs> I'm not in there, but uh, they the, the state and its partners, the city, county, uh, the stakeholders, the service providers. There were some things that needed to be happening at a pretty high clip that didn't happen where we did not see that transition occur in the summer. But here's, here's what I know, and it took me some calls to try and find those that are just, you know, still working on this so hard and, and, and implementing this new model. We are a victim of our success to some degree. When we hear about the – we know the weather's changing right in the throes of a transition to a new model – and that would lead people, observers, to think that maybe the cold weather is creating this overflow that, that might not be able to be accommodated for. What is really happening is that we are seeing people that have been shelter-resistant, people that have not opted to receive help or seek help, uh, being willing to engage or to try and find 
help in this new model and these new new resource centers. And the example of that is if we went to uh, October of 18 and we looked at how many women were seeking shelter uh, in the month of October in uh, 2018, just a year ago, it isn't anywhere near the number where you, and it, it stands to reason you have a women's shelter now. Uh, it, so if you were worried about being preyed upon, if it didn't feel safe, if you had children, whatever those circumstances may be, having a women's shelter that can uh, specifically help uh, people in need, women and women with children, we're seeing a higher demand for that. So some of the overflow issues and some of the uh, people looking for help uh, are coming and uh, have not come before. And so it's, I think the, the casual observer would think, wow, they just didn't have enough beds. No, it's not the case. There's, there are enough beds, certainly even for the numbers we saw last year. But you are seeing people who are uh, reaching out and seeking help that had not before. And that's, a, that's a, still a challenge, but it's a good challenge to have. It's a, I would put it in the good column in terms of things we have to make sure we don't leave people behind, that people are taken care of. Uh, which uh, they, that is going to happen, but it's a good thing to see that people that need help feel that they're not being preyed upon and can receive help, and that was kind of at the heart of why we thought a new model was needed. Uh, Mr. Speaker, it, it's it's interesting to me right now to see in the mayoral race in Salt Lake City at, at a recent debate, uh, one of the candidates said that we need to leave the road home open and the other one said, no, we need to shut it and try the process. What, what's your take on that? We have, look, we have to give this new model an opportunity to succeed. And where we see the, um, the overflow and where we see the greater demand, it is not in the old shelter model. It's not in, it's not in the road home as it is today. Uh, that is not where we're seeing the numbers. We're seeing it, the demand increase under the new model. And so to... To say that we should leave the old model open, um, I don't know how you straddle that fence, to be honest with you. I think we have to be committed to this new model. We've put tens of millions of dollars into this investment in terms of facilities as well as administrative costs. It has not been easy. If you look around the country, major metropolitan areas are suffering, and really their social order is disintegrating over this issue. Sure. I believe, I'm very proud of what we've done as a state, county, city, uh, all of us, all the stakeholders, the, the, the service providers, but you can't abandon that model as you're seeing the transition beginning, even if it's challenging. Even even in this challenge, we need to give this model an opportunity to work. So as, as we're wrapping this up here, Speaker, uh, Mr. Speaker, what do you think we need to continue to do going forward? I mean, you think this is the, the right direction to be able to be taking, but what else is left to be done? So what we have to see, and what I think, and this is the new model, that take, there's a learning curve inherent to it, is the placement, housing placement. And those that need behavioral health or they need the sober living, we, we have increased treatment beds over the last two years, two and a half years. We've, we've been able to create more opportunities for people to be placed where they need to, not to say that job is finished. In fact, there's, a, there's much to be done on that front. But we need to see Volunteers of America, Catholic Community Services, The Road Home, all of them are in this space, shoulder to shoulder, and it's not just warehousing people. It's not just finding a place and just relegating this people experiencing homelessness to some place that we don't have to see it. We have to help people in their time of need. The way to do that is to allow for, and we all, everyone in this community in the state, we're all in this together. We have to see those resources being provided. We have to see the housing placement happen, and I think it's going to take... 
uh, time for that that new model to take hold and for uh, our service providers to become uh, good at getting people through so that they're seeing that uh, self-reliance. But I, I guess that that's a broad, that's a vague way of saying I think we all have to be mindful that we're all in this together and that it's new and that there has to be some patience that we all uh, have to feel and, and, and practice, but that we got to help where we can and understand that this new model, I believe, I genuinely believe it's going to help far more people uh, in this model than we've been able to do in the past. Well, Mr. Speaker, we really appreciate your leadership on this issue. And I, I can talk from the heart. It's genuine leadership of what you did for Operation Rio Grande, what you've done for this community. You go over to the park today and you can walk through it. Uh, Greg, huge. Yeah, it it is. And and I was over there yesterday and people are happy. I saw a family there. It was great. And Greg, you should take a a lot of credit. Uh, You should take all the credit. Well, you had a lot of help. But uh, there was a lot of lot. You were involved. Every lot of everybody was. We appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, again, Speaker, the former Speaker of the House, Greg Hughes, and gubernatorial candidate. I hear. But I'm not sure if it's been confirmed. <laughs> he can confirm it right now on KSL Radio. This yeah, is your well, moment. There's nothing official yet, gentlemen. We are we we're uh, we're working hard and uh, moving forward. But I'm just a little guy. I need a longer runway. You talk about runways and transitions. I got I got I got a lot of work still to do at home, and uh, and I I am I'm, I'm preparing for that. But I still have work in front of me before. The honeydew list keeps getting longer. <laughs> That's what that is. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We appreciate uh, Speaker's time and Operation Rio Grande. We'll be back, and we'll be discussing with Senator Deidre Henderson about women's suffrage. Are you suffrage? Is your wife suffrage? Is my wife suffrage? Yeah. I'm not even quite sure what that question means. Okay, well, (laughs) we'll get that question answered when we come back. Thank you for joining us. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Jim Bennett, and I'm here with... Scott Howell. What a pleasure to be here with you. What a pleasure to be here with you. You are the most positive person I think I have ever met. You are so kind to everybody you talk to, (laughs) and you build everybody up and make them feel like a million bucks. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of that. Well, you're you're kind. I appreciate that. You know, our next guest is one that uh, has that same skill, Senator Deidre Henderson. It was my pleasure to get to know her over the years, and... Uh, Deidre, welcome to the program. We're, we're grateful that you join us. Well, thank you. I appreciate being invited. Well, what a day in the history of our great state, women's suffrage movement. This is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about uh, what happened back in 1919 and uh, what, what's going on today. Well, Utah was one, was one of the very first states to grant women the right to vote. Back in 1870, we were the second state to do so. Uh, but our women in Utah actually voted. We're the first in the nation to vote under equal suffrage laws. Um, and in 1919, um, most women in the country did not yet have the right to vote. Utah women had been voting for a long time. Um, but we were very, you know, careful and clear to make sure that other women had the same rights that we had. So in October, on October 3rd, actually, of 1919, 100 years ago, um, our uh, legislature unanimously passed the resolution granting uh, or to uh, ratify the 19th Amendment. Even though our women could already vote, we were the very first suffrage state to actually go ahead and and, uh, pass that, um, ratify the, the amendment so that other women could also have that right. 
Till the 19th Amendment struck down that restricted rule. Schoolhouse Rock there for you. Everything I know about women's suffrage comes from Schoolhouse Rock. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I think it's a great thing. Well, I, I think that's yeah, any, better than nothing. Yeah, anyway, for, <laughs> uh, for our students and for individuals to learn about. Well, Senator, what? thank you for taking the leadership and, and sponsoring that. The the Bamberger family and the Hayward family, I understand, we're, are going to be there at your advice and consent today. Yeah, we've got some great, great granddaughters um, of, of uh, Senator Elizabeth Hayward, who presided over the Senate and sponsored that piece of legislation back in 1919. We've got her, um, a great, great, great granddaughter of hers, um, and some great, great nieces of Governor Bamberger, who signed uh, that resolution once it was passed by the legislature. So I'm really excited to meet them. Wait, so so do I understand you correctly? You're saying that it was, there was actually a woman in the legislature in 1919 who uh, sponsored this yes. legislation. Yep. Yeah, so, so from what I can tell, Senator Elizabeth Hayward was the second woman in Utah to be elected to the state Senate. Of course, the first state senator in the nation was elected in 1896 here in Utah, Martha Hughes Cannon. And, uh, and, and so, you know, 20 plus years, 23 years later, you have Elizabeth Hayward, who was, I think at the time, the only woman in the legislature, in the Senate. Um, and she was allowed to preside over the Senate while that was passed. This wow. was her resolution. She sponsored it. They let her preside over it. And then there were three, um, women in the House who also presided in the House when that legislation went over to the House. So it was it was kind of a big deal. And that was at a time when most women in the nation didn't even have the right to vote. You know, Senator, who says that Utah's not progressive when it comes to right. women's rights and issues? <laughs> I mean, maybe we lost our way a little bit on the, from the earlier, and we can a take a, a, just a little, yeah. But we can take a lesson and learn from it. What, what an outstanding thing uh, that you all are doing. And I know Representative Karen Kwong, and you are the co-chairs of the Martha Hughes Cannon Statute Oversight Committee. And what's the latest on the update on the, the statute? Is it back in D.C. yet? Have we replaced uh, Mr. Farnsworth, or is it on its way, or what's going on? So we're, we're in the process. She is scheduled to uh, be placed in the United States Capitol Building next August. Um, just last month, uh, we uh, unveiled a maquette, of a small, like a 24-inch version of the statue that we're that we're now having created into a bigger statue, and she's just beautiful. It's it's going to be so incredible. Um, it's been a lot of work. We we got a uh, local art artist Ben Hammond um, has has been um, contracted with to to create the statue, and it's actually been kind of a big process and trying to find out what to do with dear old Philo. Yeah, what's going to happen to Philo, inventor of television? <laughs> well. We're not quite sure yet, but we have a lot of really good options. Um, one of the options, actually, and I don't know if this is going to pan out, but we did get a contact from the junior senator from Idaho um, who they're potentially interested because, you know, there's some controversy of whether sure. Philo was Whether it was Philo right, was Utah or Idaho. Right. And now, now, Idaho may want to just buy him from us and keep him there in the, in the United States Capitol, um, which you know, maybe a, a really good option to, to be able to keep him there and, and have him represent the state of Idaho. But I don't know. We've got a lot of options. There are other things that, that, are, that we're looking at as well. We want to make sure he has it. Do you just cross out the name Idaho. Utah and write in Idaho with a black Sharpie? Is <laughs> with, that how it works? With potatoes. With no, potatoes. you put in potatoes in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Does Idaho have so, – so the rule is you can only have two st- two statues right. in Statuary right. Hall. Right. Does Idaho – because there are a number of states that don't have two statues. Does Idaho already have two statues? Would they have to move somebody else if they were to take yeah, Philo they, T. Farnsworth? Yeah, they would replace one of, one of their statues with Philo if they choose to do this. So, okay. And, again, I, I may be speaking out of turn here, um, but uh, that's, that's just one of the little threads that we're pulling on to see what, what ends up happening with Philo. Senator Henderson, you've always been a, a a real genuine leader up there on Capitol Hill. You've uh, you're diligent. You work hard. Um, as you look at the upcoming session, what's going to be the the top priorities happening in this session that's going to come up? And what are you, what are your thoughts on where you're going to stand on some of those issues? Well, you I mean the, the big the biggest issues, the biggest concern always is education. Um, are we going to be able to, you know, adequately fund education and not, you know, give too many requirements to our teachers that are that are burdensome? And um, so I chair the Education Committee in the Senate now, and that's um, a new assignment for me this year. And so that's one of the top things that we're looking at. We're looking at, uh, at a bunch of different um, education initiatives, and we're, of course, working with the education community to make sure that we're working with them and not against them, that's really important to me. Um, of course, uh, the other big issue is is um, the tax reform issue, and, and I'm not really sure exactly where we're going to go with that yet, uh, but that's taken up a lot of uh, space and time uh, this interim. As you look at the national landscape, can, can you just give us your 50,000-foot view of you know, what's happening on a state level, I think, is in stark contrast to what's happening on a national level, particularly in the Republican Party. Uh, can, can you give us – can you turn pundit here for a moment and give us a sense of where you think all of this is going? All I can tell you right now is I am so grateful to work in a state legislature where we can actually get things done. <laughs> we can actually look at problems and come up with solutions and implement solutions rather than just – fighting and banging our heads against the wall and grandstanding and it happens on both sides of the aisle so i'm i'm terribly grateful to be able to to be where i am and join actually um i am only the 28th woman to be elected to the state senate in the 123 year history of our state so i'm really grateful to be one of those 29 women um that have been elected to the state senate and you do an outstanding job senator you really do Uh I need to give a quick shout out to uh, Paula Julander, who was the first woman elected in leadership in the history of the state of Utah when she was the minority leader uh, back when I had the opportunity to serve. So Senator Henderson and Representative Kwong commemorating the Utah effort in the women's suffrage movement today at four o'clock on the Senate floor. Uh, go online. You can watch this at a historic moment with the Bamberg, Bamberger family and the... Uh, Hayward. Hayward family. And uh, Senator, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all your good work. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So when we get back, we're going to be talking to another elected official that has a much more, uh, well, a different point, a of, different view point on, of view on women in politics. Join us. And again, if you're a candidate, call 801-575-7668, 575-7668. Tell us why we should vote for you. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Jim Bennett. So we're along with Scott Howell. Along with Scott Howell. It's so great to be with you, Jim. I really appreciate your uh, 
you, you know, you're so amazing. You're all of a sudden in jailhouse rock. I'm sitting here. No, schoolhouse rock. Schoolhouse rock. Big oh, sorry, difference sorry, between yeah. schoolhouse and jailhouse well, rock. Well, I was ready to do some Hamilton, so that's well, as close go. as I could get to it. So. Suffrage didn't enter into Hamilton. We hadn't gotten that far. That's right. So that's right. They were we still- had in Utah, though. Yes, we did. Well, no. No, Utah no, was 1870 no, no, because 1870 in Hamilton. Yeah, so yeah it was 17. We're screwing so, this all up. We are thrilled to have our next guest. Uh, Councilwoman Corey Thomas from South Salt Lake City uh, was elected two years ago. And uh, what a bright, talented young lady. And uh, she got into this race uh, thinking that she could change the world, which she has. And she's done a terrific job out there. Corey, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me here today. Well, thank you. I really you for, appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to come in. You know, we just talked about women's suffrage and how they mm-hmm. got the vote back in the uh, early 1800s. And now you you not only got the vote, you're, you're the elected official. And I read with great interest your story. Uh, Amy Donaldson had written about in the Desert News, you and uh, former Representative Richardson uh, from uh, – uh, I think she's in Alpine is where she lives – and. Tell us a little bit about your story, what happened. You you go out, you campaign, you get elected, and then Yeah, so um, I have now dealt with two stalkers. The first one was I never would have come across this individual until I ran for office. And he was a neighbor, lived a couple blocks away from me, and he I knocked on his door. Uh, we had a great conversation, gave him my phone number if he had any questions, Um, everything seemed to be fine. He would call and ask different questions, wanted to volunteer for my campaign. And then slowly he started changing his wording and he started calling me at all hours and different odd hours of the night in the morning. And I just kind of got sick of it. And so I ignored him and he went away. And then um, probably six or seven months after that, I got sworn in into my council term. And then Five months after I was in office, he started contacting me again and completely just was a different person and threatening and just not very appropriate messages were being sent to me. And so I decided it was time to report him to the police because I didn't feel safe. I was worried he would show up at our council meeting or a city event. And so I felt like it was probably time for me to report him. Um, I've always felt comfortable going to the police. My dad was a police officer and my uncle. And so I just knew that's what I needed to do. Went and reported it, and they um, Unified had to take the case because it was um, a conflict of interest with South Salt Lake. So I worked with Unified. The detectives there were fantastic. South Salt Lake was fantastic to start the case, and they eventually arrested him. And he spent several months in jail while we went through the court trial. And then last November, he finally pled guilty and was sentenced to a 36-month um, adult parole and probation, along with many other stipulations that the judge handed down on him that was not expected from us or the DA's office. So it was nice to know that that judge, um, Judge Parker, was so supportive in my fear that um, he actually added another year to his probation than what was um, initially proposed. Sure. If you're just joining us, we have Councilwoman Corey Thomas of South Salt Lake City who ran for office, got elected, and is out knocking on doors, trying to get votes. And uh, a gentleman all of a sudden shows this great interest. And Gentleman is a very strong word. Yeah, this <laughs> jerk. Uh, jerk, okay. I think, is a better word, yes. I, I don't know if I can say the A word on the radio. But anyway, um, he, he all of a sudden turns from constituent now to a stalker. 
did that did that deter you in any way to say why why am I doing this? Why am I running for office? No, actually, no, not at all. Um, I mean, it was a little scary in the beginning, but I just came to realize that I will use I want to use this opportunity to speak out about the issue of stalking and the laws need to be updated. And there's, you know, one in five women go through this and experience this. And um, there are women going through this every single day. In and, and it's out not of the public eye. This out of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, if I can speak out about it and use my story, I want to be able to encourage these women that might be going through this to, you know, go, to, go contact the police. Um, even if you don't think it might not be something super serious, I would recommend just go talk to them, file a report. Um, you know, there may be something that they can do to help that you might not realize that you have that help. Well, this isn't the only guy who's who's come after you, is it? No. <laughs> exactly well, that, a year later, um, I had a second one, and they were completely two different types of individuals. This second stalker um, was very upset, kind of more politically driven um, about we had heated discussions about the tax increase and things like that back in June during the budget. And he was just extremely threatening. And the oddest part is that he was not even an individual that lived in South Salt Lake. You know, I, it's just appalling to me that we live in a day and age where social media has taken over a position where it's such a good tool. To, to help in so many ways, and it's a good tool to, to garner votes and if you use it properly and it turns out that way. But you know what I admire most about you, Corey, is that you have a message to, a message to those who, who want to try and take you off the pathway. And I think you're speaking for every single woman out there. And they need a loud voice. And Holly Richardson, you know, serving in the, the House, I, I know she experienced the same thing. What's the solution? I know Angela Romero has proposed some legislation on stalking. What, what's your opinion on that? And, and what should we do to prohibit that? I definitely think that there needs to be some new legislation proposed. I think that they need to go through and um, rewrite the laws on stalking. I think that it needs to be updated to the time period that we're in right now with all of the social media. The social media can be a great tool, but it also can be very vicious and horrible. I mean, oh, yeah. you see, you know, kids bullying each other. And, you know, that may be because they saw their parents treating other individuals like that, you know, and trickling down. And so I think that the law and our um, legislature and everyone, we need to take this stocking stuff seriously and recognize that it happens online, that it's, you know, it's more common probably to see it happening online than, you know, in person and face-to-face stalking like you think in the movies of somebody hiding behind the bush. And so I think that I would like to see some new, you know, laws written to include that aspect of women's... Councilwoman, could we, could, can we ask you a favor? Mm-hmm. Can we keep you over to the next segment? Yeah, that's fine. We'd really like to have some in-depth on this and... Our, our listener base is huge out there, and we need a call to action. Definitely. If we want Liza Bennett to run for office someday, <laughs> she needs to know that she's not going to be in a den of iniquity and, and fire out there. And, Jim, I don't. did you ever get bullied or harassed on your campaign to the point where somebody stalked you? No, but uh, I, I can remember – I want to talk about this when we get to our next segment, but 
social media really has changed the dynamic because people think they can say and do terrible things and sort of hide behind the anonymity of a computer screen. And I think that I think you're absolutely right that our stalking laws, we need to be able to figure out a way to deal with this. And I want to talk about that when, when we – I want to get your opinion on this when we get back. When we come break. back, we'll continue on with Councilwoman Corey Thomas. And we'll also be discussing a little bit about why more women should run and not be intimidated. And text us, 57500, Utah Community Credit Hotline. And remember, if you're a candidate, 57576668, it's your opportunity to tell us why we should get a vote. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Jim Bennett. I'm the guest host here along with Scott Scott Howell. Scott Howell, live and in color. We're having... We're having a lot of fun here. Uh, we are. We have Corey Thomas here with us, who's a, a councilman from the South Salt Lake City Council, and we're also joined by our producer Robin Garfield to continue this discussion about uh, the kind of harassment and stalking that public officials experience, uh, particularly female public officials, but also that women experience, you know, who are not in the public eye. And the idea is that we are looking for ways to rewrite or to revisit at least the the stalking and harassment laws particularly in an age of social media where people feel completely justified in dumping all kinds of garbage on people they don't know because they're hiding behind a computer screen to be able to do that and so Corey when you look at that what kind of things do you think we need to be addressing with our legal framework to be able to confront that I mean I definitely think we need to be you know addressing all the social media and, you know, trying to figure out a way how you monitor that in a way to make sure people feel safe. And also, you know, how we'd have to figure out, you know, how do you go about finding these individuals that are the ones harassing? Um, and I think it's definitely a large, a very big discussion on trying to figure out how you change these laws with the stalking to include social media because there is, you know, freedom of speech and stuff. But I also think there there is a line that can be crossed. And I think at that point there needs to be some sort of recourse in, in helping these individuals feel safe, men and women. You know, everyone experiences harassing online at some point every day. And I think that, you know, there is a degree that people go over the line and um, – that it's uncalled for, and it comes to the point where people do feel unsafe. Sure, and you never should feel unsafe, Robin. Why, why don't you run for office someday? That's a and good- does this does this impede your decision? It absolutely. You know, we have three young boys. Sure, uh, little little boy. Well, little ish. You know, nine, seven, and five. And my husband and I have both talked at different points about running for office. Um, I started at BYU as in the political science department, and if you if you read even my senior year. My high school senior, every every entry is Sia, the presidency, and twenty something. You know, I was always going to go out and get into politics, but the the older I've gotten and the more social media and the internet has come around, I will not go out into the public light with little kids. And I know people do. I'm not criticizing people who do run for office with small children, but the 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 thought that someone could come after me, come after my kids, even even a a, a tweet or a comment online, I'm way too protective of my kids. I have a all of my. I'm not even on Facebook. I have a very small private Instagram account. Um, but then it is the larger discussion as a mother, you know, what are, what are my responsibilities in that? And what, how much do I want to bear the brunt of people harassing my family? And again, that should not deter people. It shouldn't, I don't want people, especially women to not run for office because they're 
scared of harassment. Robin, what what legislation would make you feel better, and what 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 needs to happen with Corey in place, even on a local state uh, a city statute or on the state statute? What would help you to make that decision? Because I'm all about more women running. We need more women in every elected office in our world. Well, I'm not even sure. I mean, legislation, and I think you were speaking that there are some very proactive things that the state legislature could do. It's almost it's more of a cultural. We've seen with the Me Too movement a lot of the issues of right. you know people coming out right. and saying, "Hey, for the first time, this is not okay." Um, right. And obviously, Corey, what you were dealing with were some illegal. It wasn't just tweets. It was you know places where you felt threatened. But I do think it maybe it's maybe not even passing proactive legislation, but getting people to realize these are serious. This is a serious thing, and people who you know, would send a, a female politician an inappropriate tweet or an inappropriate text, whether or not, I don't know if we can legislate every single one of those, but having a cultural mindset of like, I have three sons and we talk all the time with my little kids about what is and isn't okay, how to talk to people. Yes. And I'm just right. hoping even more so than legislation, just culturally we can change the next generation. So it's no longer just, oh, it's just boys being boys or whatever, but it's, hey, this isn't okay. And when, when it comes to safety, you know, my husband and I have talked about this. He said, when the Me Too movement was going on, he said, did you ever, have you ever felt unsafe? And I said, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> From the time I was old enough to know what that meant. Yeah. Yes. As yeah. a woman, so many incidences. I think yeah. every woman goes through that. Absolutely. High school. And we don't, sometimes we're, we're inoculated to it. So we don't even realize it was bad at the time, but yes, in college and, and I served an L, you know, a, a, a mission for the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, even as a missionary, I had incidences that were hugely inappropriate that I didn't realize at the time I could even do something about. Right. Is it? Are you more comfortable now when the article went out? Was your objective is to make women understand that they can do something and they don't have to put up with it? That's the thing that, that bothers me. Don't put up with it. Dial 911. Dial, I don't know, Jim. Well, it's, it's you, know, you talk about the culture and we're trying to establish a culture going forward. You know, in my experience in politics, watching my father, for instance, one of the things that struck me, and I don't know if this this applies, I think, to people of both genders, but uh, the the issue is that when people start talking about my father online, they don't they don't believe that he was an actual human being, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. he, that it's somehow that politics gives you a license to be rude, gives you a license to be inappropriate. I remember when my father passed away. And I would read all of the comment sections in the newspapers. You're never supposed to read the comment sections. Don't do Corey, that. Corey, you're shaking your head. This is you're, you're absolutely right. Don't go there. And most of them were kind and friendly. And then a few. I remember I read one, and we're a grieving family who's just lost our father. And somebody wrote, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." And I thought, why would you do that? Why would you think that's appropriate? And and when you add the kind of of you know insecurity that that a woman would feel feeling threatened and that kind of violence, that just exponentially increases the, the lack of safety. Well, and I think there's a, I think social media dehumanizes people on both sides. Right. They, they look at, you know, people, and I think probably being in politics, people think politicians are immune from this. And almost mm-hmm. it's a dehumanizing, like you're a public figure, you can take whatever, you know, you should be well, able to and take And we're whatever. supposed to. Yeah, you, you deserve it thought. because you ran for office. Somehow. Yeah, we're supposed to take every criticism and threat and not have any, and that we can't do anything about it. And and, and the poli- the political aspect of it erases the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the other thing that erases those boundaries is this cowardness of not putting a name to it. Yeah, I yeah. guarantee you, if somebody, if I send a note and I said Scott and Hal, I'm not going to say the same thing with 
you know, John Smith 99, whatever they put. Well, and this is why I went off of Facebook because I looked one day and I said, if all 500 or whatever of my followers were in a room with me and I was at a pulpit speaking, would right. I speak to all these people face to face? And the answer on a lot of the posts, not that I was, you know, having right. an inflammatory, right. but right. they were personal. Right. And would I tell my high school English teacher or the, you know, the right. old friend of mine this personal detail about my life? And the answer essentially was no. And so I you know, took myself off Facebook. My hu- my husband's not on Facebook and my kids, I've told them, you know, we don't, you don't have to be on social media. It's not well, a prerequisite for existence. Right? I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really an advocate for women uh, to run. I think of Mayor Ramsey out in uh, South Jordan, I, Jenny Wilson, we, uh, Jackie Biskupski, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of women and we need more women Trust me, I have. I can tell you firsthand. There's a different demeanor that happens when you pass policy, when you have that presence of a woman. It, it, it and it's it's thoughtful and it's more deliberative and it's uh, it's better legislation. So, I, I for me, I, I want this message to be clear to all of our listeners. Every single woman should run, and you don't have to hassle with this. Like I was saying, it's deterred me because I don't know. Maybe I'm softer shelled, but it should not deter right. women from running. Right. And it should. And I have young children. That's a personal decision I've made. But Corey, you've run and, yeah. and you've and won. That's why I wanted to you know, speak out about this is because you know, I don't want women, I don't want this to scare women away, but I also want everyone to know this is an issue we need to discuss. It's right. not discussed. And it's something that needs to be talked about now, especially with the social media aspect. Thank you for the courage to yeah, come Corey, forward. it's not scaring you away, I hope. Definitely not, and it, nothing will scare me out of Next helping governor my of the state of Utah, Corey Thomas, right here live with the Lieutenant Governor Robin Garfield. We Thanks. will uh, c- join us again. You think we're exciting now? We might talk about guns. The, which state is the number one gun seller in the whole country? Join us. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Jim Bennett, your guest host for the day, along with the mighty <laughs> Scott Howell. So, so you always begin these segments by telling me how great I am, but I need to tell you how great you are, how wonderful <laughs> it is to be here with you, to see you, your relationship with all of these people that have been coming in and calling in. And you have, I think, your finger on the pulse of where Utah is better than anybody else I know. Well, you're kind to say that. It uh, It's such a privilege for me to be able to uh, have so many great friends. You know, and I have as many enemies, trust me. I, uh, <laughs> and they beat up on you on social media. Oh, yeah, they do. They take a lot of shots. But you know what? I, uh, I go back to Steve Jobs, and I, I, I think we have a dearth of leadership in our country, in our state, in our community. Steve Jobs said, if you want to make everybody happy, sell ice cream. Don't be a leader. Right. And that's leadership. I look at President Nelson. You know, as great as he is, he's taking these hits. And you see it uh, across the spectrum. And I think that's part of the responsibility we have when we go in public office. And you did that. You sacrificed with your dad and your grandfather. And you guys took hits. And your wonderful Joyce, uh, your wonderful mom, you know, they're some of the greatest people that I've ever known in my entire life. And that DNA is just over the top. So, Well, there you go. My mother has absolutely no interest in politics. At this I, point I know that. Life. Just none well, whatsoever. She likes the violin. Although, although she is, this, I'm going to announce this, she is Miss Senior Utah 2019. Oh, my gosh. She's going back to Atlantic City uh, to be in the national pageant. And uh, so... 
my sisters are all going with her. I'm not going to go, but I'm just thrilled to death for her. So. You heard it first on KSL. So Joyce my, Bennett, jo- Miss Senior. Miss Senior Utah, Utah 2019. 2019. And I, th- I don't know if anybody else was actually in the pageant with her. Well, time. she is so talented. She actually taught the violin to some it's of the my- the flute, actually. Or the flute, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and she taught that to some of my interns, and they've never forgotten her, and they'd always talk to me about her and how great she is, and- and, uh, well, congratulations. You heard it first here on KSL, breaking news. It'll be at the top of the next news hour. What you need to know in Utah. <laughs> That's Joyce right. Bennett. That's right. Well, joining us now is the infamous. Info- well, talk about a leader who's taken some hits. Oh, my goodness. That's who this guy One is. One of the smartest guys I've ever known in my entire life, uh, Professor Richard Davis from the Brigham Young University. Richard, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, listen, well, I want to just start this segment out by saying it was Richard Davis who started the Utah Debate Commission, and it was Richard Davis' vision of what would happen. It was Richard Davis who said, let's hold a presidential debate here. And his vision, his tenacity, and never giving up, that's why we have the VP national debate in 2020 coming to Utah, Professor Richard Davis. Well, and Richard Davis, if, if you may not know this, is also the chairman of the United Utah Party. And the, the United Utah Party pretty much came into existence because of the sheer force of will of Richard Davis, I think. Oh, I completely agree he, with he, you. He drafted me into the effort, but uh, and I, I had the privilege of being the first candidate to run under the United Utah Party banner. But after every election... People come to us now. I mean, when I ran and then when we ran 18 separate candidates more yes. than any other yes. any other party yes. other than the Republicans and Democrats, uh, everybody always comes, well, are you done now? Are you done? You're <laughs> yeah, done. You, you, you made right. your point. It's over, right? <laughs> and it isn't. The United Utah Party continues to roll forward. And we, uh, you know, we're sponsoring a a ballot initiative for term limits. We talked about that last time when yeah. we were guest hosting. Yeah. But there's a bunch of other things that are on the horizon. And Richard, can you give us a kind of a rundown of where the party is and what the party's doing and where we're going? Yeah. Thank you. First, after that introduction, now I know what it feels like to be dead. <laughs> there, there <you> go. <laughs> That's what it's like to be around Scott Howell. It's like he's always giving his giving your. Your eulogy. To your yes, face. I know. Every time I, Scott, I talk to Scott, I feel like uh, I must have died. My eulogy going on here. But no, I appreciate that very much. Um, so we, we are uh, marching forward. We actually are doing something different than what the Republicans and Democrats do. Lots of things different. But one of them is that we've actually been holding county conventions in the fall, um, and we're still holding them. In fact, we have one in uh, Utah County. Coming up tomorrow evening in the Provo Library, we have one in Salt Lake County coming up um, in a couple of weeks. Um, so we're we're doing this sort of off the schedule, but uh, of what the others do, um, we think there's probably going to be interest in the fall and get, in uh, getting involved. And we have we have, we've gotten people coming to our conventions who haven't come before. They they want to check us out. We're going to do caucuses again. We expect you more caucuses. Than we did last time. We had 18 locations, and we we expect we'll be we'll have far more. Uh, something that's that's coming up that might be of interest to your listeners is that we're we're doing a uh, fundraising lunch, uh, and Evan McMullen is speaking. Oh, cool! Lunch. This is going to be November the sixth at the Alta Club at noon. If uh, if folks are interested, they should uh, email assistant at unitedutah.org. 
that's our assistant, and she can uh, take their information and help them uh, uh, sign up for the fundraising dinner at, or, or lunch. Um, this is going to be a great opportunity to uh, uh, to listen to Evan. I've uh, I've been able to uh, talk with him, and um, he's he is uh, still very active um, in trying to change things for the better. And uh, we, we celebrate that. In fact, we're going to give him an award uh, for his efforts to make things better, both in the state and in the nation. If you're just joining us, we have Professor Richard Davis from Brigham Young University, also the chair of the Utah United Party, and candidate Jim Bennett, who ran Former for Former candidate. Well, I don't, I don't maybe, want my wife to tune in and say that I've announced something that I haven't announced. <laughs> Richard, I tried. I tried, okay? I tried to slick that one Thank in. you. I appreciate that. And uh, Richard, you're telling us about Evan McMullen, who ran for president and actually, uh, surprisingly, did quite well. I mean, well, coming out of nowhere. Coming out of nowhere. It, it was yep. fascinating to watch his candidacy because everybody, I remember when Trump was winning the Republican nomination and I was still a Republican. And people would come to me and say, well, Trump's not really going to get the nomination. Yeah. And they'd say, Mitt Romney's going to step in, and Mitt Romney's going to get the nomination. And and, and I'd finally say, guys, Mitt Romney can't step in. He's passed all of these ballot deadlines. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Well, he's going to get thrown out in convention. No, No. that's not going to happen. And Evan McMullen came on the scene after all of that, after a lot of ballot deadlines had come and gone, and still managed – uh, he got what? What was the percentage, Richard, that he got here in Utah? He got he got twenty one percent. Wow! For for wow. a third party candidate with wow. very little money, wow. way late in the yeah. game, wow. that's an astonishing. Well, he's a, vote he's total. amazing. Go ahead, Richard. That, uh, in twenty sixteen, twenty six percent of Utah voters voted for a candidate for president other than a Democrat or Republican. So one quarter of Utah voters said we don't like either one of these candidates. Right. That indicates, I think, a lot of dissatisfaction with uh, what we were offered in 2016, and 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 may be true in 2020. I don't know. We'll 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 see how that comes out on the on the Democratic side. It's likely that Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee, but there's a lot of dissatisfaction out there, and 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 that's one reason we formed is that we could be able to say to people, "Hey, here's another alternative. It's a moderate alternative. Not not not. We're not extremist. Uh, we're we're not." strong ideologues were people who believe in practicality that that's one of our goals is to bring back practicality rather than ideology to our government and the other is to bring people back to our government there's so much yeah. cynicism on the part of so many people today and particularly young people and we want those young people to feel like they have a political home someplace where they feel comfortable Professor, we know that you're very busy but could we keep you over would you mind staying on to our next segment Sure, sure. Uh, I'll call President Worthen to make sure it's okay, but I, I think <laughs> I, I think they might allow you to do it. But uh, uh, Professor Richard Davis from Brigham Young University on the line with us, chair of the Utah United Party. Yeah, we're going to get down and dirty on some of the national events, and I'd love to have Richard's take on some of these things. So we'll do that when we get back. Thank you for joining us. And again, candidates, call in 575-7668. Tell us why we should vote for you. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back. I'm Scott Howell on Inside Sources, and I've got the best Inside Source guy in the world. Richard the, Davis on the line. Yeah, but I'm Jim Bennett. <laughs> but we've got Richard Davis here with us from the United Utah Party, Professor Richard Davis of BYU. 
And uh, what we we wanted, Richard, we wanted to keep you on here because we're going to get a down and dirty into the whole. When I when I found out I was going to be on here with Scott Howell, I really wanted to get his sense on a national level of where this whole impeachment process is going. Give us some context of it. And I I want to get, can you give us an overview of your perception of what's going on on a national level? Well, uh, I, I teach lectures on that that go on for about 50 minutes. We've got All right. Much done, don't we? <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> this is like a debate, well, Richard. Remember, you have one minute. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who set that up? Yeah, uh, right. Who was that guy? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, we're, go- we're going to have an impeachment uh, inquiry take place, um, I mean, a formal kind of inquiry. It will probably start with the House Judiciary Committee. I, I expect that there's going to be a vote, uh, probably could be, you know, by the end of the year, maybe January, on impeachment. Um, I would say right now it's going to be positive uh, for, for having a trial in the Senate. Uh, that will then occur. I'm not sure how serious that will be, uh, because Republicans right now don't favor impeachment. Uh, that could change in the next few months. It, you know, This is a very serious move by uh, a Congress to do this. We've only had impeachment twice, and then a third time we had a president resign before it got to that point. Well, um, I want to give a little bit of context. There, on there the... often... Go ahead. Pardon? I'm, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. They're very. I think they're. It's a crisis for the country that that uh, the country and the Congress thinks that the president has done something wrong to to merit impeachment and removal from office. Um, uh, in this case, I, I, you know, there's there's a lot of concern about what Donald Trump has done and what is very public and that he has done uh, that is in contrast to what his office should be doing. So, you know, it, it, it's understandable why, why that's going on. Um, but but uh, it's very serious, uh, and we shouldn't take it lightly. We shouldn't, we shouldn't use it as a political football on either side. No, that's absolutely right. I want to give a little bit of context, but before I do that, we just got a text that came in that said, Richard sounds like a great guy. Why did you refer to him as infamous? So I apologize for calling you infamous. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. Uh, uh, that was me. And oh, did I you call him infamous? Famous. Yes, there you go. Yeah, Richard is a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just, I just let that slide, Scott. Yeah, uh, that, that, don't worry about it. And thanks for sending that text in. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I can see Richard the phone Davis. number. It's not Richard's <laughs> phone number. No, I want to give a little bit of context to this because you talk about Republicans and how Republicans are going to react to impeachment. I have a bit of family history on this. So in 1950, there were two new Republican senators that were elected to office, one from Utah, one from California, Wallace F. Bennett, my grandfather, and Richard M. Nixon. And they were very good friends in the Senate. They were good friends all throughout Nixon's presidency. When my grandfather turned 75 years old, Richard Nixon showed up and played happy birthday for him on the piano uh, when he was in president of the United States. And uh, my grandfather, I'm very proud of two of his votes when he voted to um, – voted for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and also when he voted to censure Joe McCarthy. But he was not planning on voting to remove Richard Nixon from office. Because of that, he was one of a handful of senators 
who was enlisted by Senator Barry Goldwater to march over to the White House and confront Richard Nixon and say, you do not have the support of the Senate. You have to resign or you're going to be removed from office. My, my grandfather was in that delegation that did that. That is the mm-hmm. most intriguing. But I, can, I can't see that happening today. You can't see the Republicans. Well, the, the, but the thing yeah. about it is that everybody, everybody looks at this and says, okay, there's no way Trump's going to be removed from office. And the precedent they're citing is the Clinton impeachment. And while we're sitting here in this studio, a yeah. number came up there that said right now 51% of Americans support Trump's removal from office. At a similar point in the Clinton impeachment process, 33% of Americans mm-hmm. supported Clinton right. removal from right. office. So that, that there's already and, – and Richard Nixon, uh, people don't seem to realize that there wasn't – this huge groundswell to remove him from office early on in that process that developed as people got more and more information, and finally, the the support for Nixon essentially crumbled overnight. And the sense that I get when I look at impeachment right now is that you know you have Jeff Flake who says behind closed doors, thirty to thirty five Republicans in the Senate would vote to remove Trump from office, but they're terrified of Trump's base. They're not going to do that. Uh, if Trump still has this kind of support. But what that tells me is that the moment public opinion makes it safe for Republicans to get rid of this guy, I think you would see Trump's support evaporate overnight, that the whole thing would crumble instantly, that you're not going to see a steady erosion, that it's going to be a monolithic wall of support right up until the moment when it isn't, and then it all crumbles. You know, Richard, I uh, Jim brings up a really good point, and it's inspiring to hear me to hear him talk about his grandfather. What's the fallout for Democrats, though, if they do impeach? Because I was around when they impeached Clinton, and we never had a better year that next year when we all ran for office. Although my father was reelected that year, nineteen ninety-eight. Yes, he was. He was very happy about that because yes. he was a little nervous because yes. of the backlash. Yes, 1974, You mean? No, in 1998, 1998, you're talking when, about the Clinton impeachment. Yeah, the Clinton impeachment. Oh, oh yes. Oh, your father, yes. 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 No, your grandfather, your father. That's right. Yes. Yes, I mean, I, I think that this will further exacerbate the problem that we have with political polarization in the country. Uh, because it, it, if, unless there's some something else that happens that tips people, Republicans particularly, further towards impeachment and removal, um, I think that still Trump is going to be a martyr if he gets, even if he gets impeached, not removed from office, and he's going to use that very effectively. Whereas Democrats are going to say this is something that you know should have happened a long time ago, and finally it's happening. Isn't that great? Uh, and and that kind of polarization shouldn't be involved with impeachment and removal from office. I mean, there's if he has committed actual crimes, and it's, it certainly looks that way to me. Uh, then that, sh- that that has to be our calculation is you know what 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 do we do with a president who is who has committed some crimes not what it, uh, impact does this have on the 2020 election that's just that 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 can't play into this I know that it does but it really can't in terms of the health of the nation because we can't put those two together we've got to say look, a president committed a crime or he didn't commit a crime, he should be impeached and removed for that and, and not because of any kind of political calculation for the future. Jim, I want to reach out to our uh, texters. I want to know your opinion. Text us at 57500, Are you in favor of impeachment, Yay, yes or no? 
And you've just heard from Professor Richard Davis, the famous. The famous <laughs> Richard Davis. <laughs> yeah. And you, you got insight. If, talk about insight sources. That, that is so brilliant about your grandfather. I had no idea that that happened. But I can see his DNA and his moral compass going over there and saying, uh, President Nixon, it's time for you to leave. I, I think, Richard, if you had to vote right now, would you vote yes or no to impeach? <laughs> if I remember the House? Uh-huh. Right now, yep. Um, you know that uh, I, I think about the implications for the nation. Um, it, it, it to me, it looks like he has committed an impeachable offense when he does these things. When he goes to a foreign power and says, uh, "Investigate a political opponent, someone who I'm likely going to be running against in the next election." And then when he says, uh, not not necessarily explicitly, but certainly the background seems to be. When he says there's a quid pro quo, you will get you will get support from the United States government if you do this. Jim, your vote. Now, those two yes. acts are, are 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 in my mind impeachable offenses. He, Richard's they, giving more they, context. Uh, I'm just saying yes. Okay, uh, Richard, you'd say yes. You'd say yes, and it's going to surprise you. I'd say no. Really? Yeah, and and and, and basically because. I think that it does no one any good at this point in time. It, it, this is a legal it, – it's not a legal But we're, we're coming up on a hard break here, yep. so let's, let's talk about that when we get back. All right. I want to get your no answer in context. Thank you, Professor Richard Davis, for joining us. Thank you to the audience. 575. Thank you. Join us. Text at 57500. Yes or no, should we impeach? The texts are coming in. We'll, well talk they about it next break. Yep. Inside sources. Inside sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And welcome back to Inside Sources. Uh, I'm Jim Bennett, and I'm here with a guy who dropped a bombshell right before the end of our last break. Scott Howell, you would not vote for impeachment. <laughs> Is that right? Well, <clears throat> I wouldn't right now. Um, maybe as we do some more discovery and we go into fact finding, we, we would, but. I've just seen the ramifications on it, and nobody really wins. Okay, I mean it's it, it's nobody really wins, and I just think it's got to be more of an issue that would solidly take the president out. And it, it, I just don't think it's if you're going to shoot at the king, make sure the king is dead. Exactly, and and you got to have a, a direct shot. It's got to be a very direct shot. And I, I admire Ben McAdams. I, I don't think he's playing politics. I genuinely believe that he wants to do all of his homework and come up with the right decision, which I believe he will. And I don't know whether he's going to support or, or vote against or whatever it will be. But uh, I'll tell you that in 1998, when your dad was running and I, uh, I was up for re-election, it was phenomenal what happened. Uh, people were angry that Bill Clinton, even Republicans right. were angry that, that they would do that to him. Well, except for I think that's the wrong, that's the wrong precedent to look at. Yeah. I really because there was really never a chance that well that's not necessarily true. My father was telling me that when the Lewinsky scandal broke that there were all kinds of democratic senators that were drafting speeches calling on Clinton to resign. Yeah. And the Clinton administration went down, no no, hold off, hold off. Right. And Clinton was able to sort of grind down at the nation's patience. Right. The, the, by the time impeachment actually became something, everybody was so sick of it. Everybody knew everything that had happened and decided we don't want to do anything with this. Right. 
I, I don't think that's the situation here. Well, and it, it, I mean, a, a sexual act, a dumb sexual act versus influencing election. There is. I mean, well, there's completely different. I, I mean, I look at this. Trump has admitted yes. to doing the things that he's going to be impeached for. It's as if Richard Nixon had said, yeah, I broke into the Watergate Hotel. Tomorrow, yeah. I'm going to break into going... another hotel. Yeah. You know, he's saying, yeah, I told Ukraine to investigate Biden. And now China, why don't you investigate Biden? I mean, it's it's so egregious. And you have to ask yourself, where is the line? Right. At what point do the Trump supporters say this is not okay? And I'm starting to think that Trump was actually right when he said I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose a single voter. I'm starting to believe that's true. That's so indicative of what I uh, talked to you about earlier about our constituency. What's going on with that middle America and, and why do they believe why do they believe that they've been so harmed and so left out of the things that have happened the last 10, 20 years that they would turn to this individual and think he was going to be the, uh, the savior and king to make things better? He's called himself a savior. He's compared he himself to Jesus. Well, if, you, if you watch today his his, uh, his great and unmatched wisdom, oh my gosh. I kept track, and I got up to 40 times that he said, I. I've done this. I did this. I did that. That's not a sign of a great leader. And one of our texters just wrote in. I thought this was interesting. And the question is, would you impeach or not? And they said, absolutely not on impeachment. Our country is already politically torn as it is. This will only further drive apart the parties. And I, I think to a degree, Jim, what they're saying is kind of what I was feeling, Um I look at it a bigger sense of do we want impeachment to be the number one issue when we've got jobs, we've got the economy, we've got the climate, we've got all these things that are so important out there, and now it's going to be focusing on impeachment. I, 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 that's why I'm uh, – I Well, yeah, except my problem with that is that where we are as a country now is not normal. Exactly. I mean, I remember yeah. P.J. O'Rourke, who's yeah. a big conservative commentator, yeah. saying he was going to vote for Hillary Clinton because he said Hillary Clinton would be awful within normal parameters. Trump is awful outside of normal of those parameters. parameters. And when we talk about dividing the parties and the countries, the Republican Party, I don't recognize the Republican Party. This is not the Republican Party I grew up in. This is a Republican Party that has morphed itself to become yes-men for Donald Trump and nothing else. And, and they don't stand for anything. They don't stand for any kind of principles that the Republican Party used to stand for when I was a Republican. Well, when you think about the three-legged stool of the Republican Party at one time, it was national defense. Right. It was uh, economics, right. the, the economy, and then cultural right. uh, on immigration. Look what's happened with national defense. Oh, I we mean, threw the Kurds under the bus. We, we did, and, and we're pulling out all over. And we're going to stay at home and be isolationist. Right. Uh, you look at, at the economy. There were tax cuts, but you had to be in well, a triple digit. I mean, uh, the trade war, which seems to have calmed down here with a recent agreement. But uh, the tariffs, if Republicans don't stand for free trade, what do they stand for? Exactly. And Donald and Trump number, hates free trade. Well, that was their number one thing right. is, is free trade. And then the cultural on immigration. They oh. wanted to have a plan. George W. wanted to have. He had, Ronald Reagan wanted to have. They a plan. wanted to have these plans, and it's it's not the Republican Party I've ever seen before. No. It, so so dividing between the parties, I don't think you have functional parties at this point. I mean, I watch Democrats in their debates, and I go, I'm not a Democrat. Yeah. Well, but one of these guys is going to be terrible within normal parameters, and Trump is not. Yeah. Want to go just through? Oh, well, 
I want to go through quickly uh, some of the texts that we've got. Yes. Uh, let the voting of next year's election determine if he needs to stay in office or not. Gentlemen, impeachment right. does not mean automatic removal from office. Yes, we know that. Uh, no, impeach them all. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, the founding fathers were very clear that impeachment should not be used as a political weapon, yet that is exactly what is happening, as demonstrated by support or non-support falling upon party lines. Let the people decide. The election is only 12 months away. Dems continue to look for a way to overturn the results of a legal election and can't succeed. And then finally, removing Trump and replacing him with VP Pence would be a big win for this country. I think Gary Herbert sent that one in. You think so? Yeah, I that do. Sounds Governor like Herbert. Herbert. <laughs> Governor Herbert, thank you for your text. Yeah, we appreciate it. We very much that. appreciate it. That's from Salt Lake County. It might very well yeah. be. Uh, and Gary and uh, Mike are very close friends. So. Oh, are they? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yep, yep. They're very well, I would think friends. a traditional Republican would, would, would be taking that position. Yeah. Anyway, we have a number of, of um, candidates that have called in. In our last segment, when we come back, we're going to play for you uh, some of these candidates, giving them some free airtime here. Bennett and Howell. There you go. There you go. Right here, live from KSL. And you heard Joyce Bennett, the new senior. Miss Senior Utah. There we go. Right here on KSL. On KSL News Radio. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Jim Bennett. And I'm here with our final segment Scott Howell. Scott Howell. Thank you. Uh, so the guy who said that we should. We should Peach, Trump, and have Pence. Right. And we said that was Gary Herbert. Right. He texted back. It's an honor to be compared to Ge- Governor Herbert. He'd be a great president. So this definitely is Gary Herbert, isn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. It is. Uh, or it's his wonderful wife. Or it's his wonderful <laughs> wife. Yes, there you go. Uh, we also have, I think Trump is a nightmare, but I really don't want socialized medicine. Democrats uh, got to be careful. I'm telling you. you uh, that's it. So, and we also have the Democrats stand for nothing except for anything that Trump is trying to accomplish. Well, that's not true. They stand for a lot of things, and one of them is the debt that they've been so concerned about. And Trump has just raised that debt to, as you know, it's the highest level it's ever been. Used to be a Republican issue. Republicans were the uh, they, party of fiscal responsibility. I remember I ran against Orrin Hatch on that very issue, and. Uh, we would hawk each other of who's going to be the tougher on it, but uh, nobody's it, doing that. It's anymore. not. It's, uh, where's our delegation? Where's Chris Stewart? Where's Bishop? Where, well, we, we know John where Chris Stewart is. Yeah, well, yeah, we know. <laughs> but, but, uh, Jim, that's the most important issue to me. It's the debt. Yeah, it really is. Oh yeah, sure. It's the debt, and I, I know that because I've been in a legislature where we have to have a balanced budget. It's hard to do it, but it's the right thing to do. Right. Well, we, we've just gotten a voicemail about impeachment, I think, that our, our listeners might appreciate here. Uh, I just, just wanted to say I don't think you compare Clinton to this at all. And you can compare it maybe more to Nixon. Clinton, it was a personal issue. It was a consensual affair, and he lied about it. That is nothing like what is going on now. This is national security. This is bribery. You can go on and on, obstruction of justice. This is whether we follow the laws of America and the Constitution and have the power divided like it should be. The House of Representatives do their job. So there's no comparison. I don't even see a, a link whatsoever there. I, I'm with her. I think she's absolutely right. And I think that's why impeachment, even though politically uh, the consequences are going to be hard to measure, it's the right thing to do at this point. Uh, because if this isn't an impeachable offense, then what is an impeachable offense? What is it that, that Donald Trump would have to do before we say, this is out of bounds? We cannot have a president of the United States that behaves this way. Yep. And I completely agree with you. I think I'm still in discovery mode and fact-finding, but the uh, the caller 
was spot on. Uh, there's not a comparison there at all. There, there's just not. This is uh, it's high crimes and, and treason. So it, it goes to that point. We're talking about elected officials that have overstepped their bounds. We want to now give you an opportunity to talk about to people or listen to people who are genuinely trying to make a difference. These are people who are running for office, and they've called in, and they've left some voicemails uh, so that you can get a chance to know who they are. So we want to play those for you. Hi, this is David Shipley running for Provo City Council. I am running to bring finance and planning expertise to the council, and as I say, I am the financial nerd that Provo needs. Thanks, and be sure to vote. Hello, my name is Dirk Burton. I am candidate for mayor in the city of West Jordan. West Jordan is going through some major changes this year. Starting in January, the city manager will no longer be the CEO of the city, but it will be the mayor. And I am running to be the first mayor as the CEO of the city of West Jordan starting in January. Being the CEO of the city will help me better represent the residents. We'll be able to work on policies and procedures and streamline things such as the water rates, correcting east-west traffic issues, working on economic development, have a relationship with the Chamber of Commerce, and I'll be listening to the residents. Vote for Dirk Burton as West Jordan City Mayor. Hello, my name is Mark McElreeze. I'm a candidate for Taylorsville City Council in District 2. My three priorities are public safety, economic development, and being a proactive approach to neighborhood and street beautification in Taylorsville. My 24 years of public safety and municipal government experience will be a great addition to the Taylorsville City Council and the residents of District 2. Please vote Mark McElreeze, Taylorsville City Council. Hi, my name is Kat Martinez, and I'm running for Marie City Council in District 1. I spent the last year meeting with department heads, attending city meetings, and talking with my neighbors. I'm ready to work hard for our Murray City residents. Kat Martinez for Murray City Council. And thank you all for calling in. Uh, I think that's a tremendous service. Anybody that's willing to stick their neck out and run for office has my respect. It, you know what? Jumping in that pool of water and uh, jumping in at the deep, deep end, it was interesting to hear David Shipley. He's the uh, financial nerd running against Mayor Kafusi. Uh, Dirk Burton, uh, the uh, West Jordan is going to a strong mayor form of government, so there will be a new CEO running against Jim Riding. Uh, Mark McAvee, um, Taylorsville City Council. Uh, that guy has given his whole life to public safety. Yeah, uh, He's really amazing. And Kat Martinez, I'm glad that we had a woman that uh, is running. Uh, thanks, Kat. And hopefully you were able to listen to Corey Thomas and uh, Robin Garfield uh, we need more women to run. But thanks to all those candidates who took the time to call in, and and uh, good luck to all of you. Right. We need more women to text in because Gary Herbert's wife has just texted again and said, wrong, y'all are hilarious. Thanks for sharing my text on the air. I think the y'all is supposed to throw us off that this is some Southerner. Southern, yeah. We know it's Gary Herbert's wife. Jeanette, we know. Jeanette, it's you. Yeah, we know. And we appreciate that. The jig is up. Yeah, the jig is up. Now, uh, I was going to say it could be my wife, but my wife switched from Republican to Utah United Party. There you go. So uh, United Utah claims one more. And so we're working on Scott Howell. I think eventually, you know, he's in discovery mode when it comes to impeachment. And uh, you're still in discovery mode when it comes to the UUP. Well, I, uh, I, you know, it's interesting in the UUP and uh, my roots are so deep in the Democratic Party with my grandfather, Jess Tuttle, uh, and who uh, actually was up there 
uh, he didn't serve in the legislature, but he was a close friend of Jim Faust. And uh, I just I don't want him to flip over in his grave before we have the resurrection. And that that could cause it if I switch parties. Right. Well, I had a lot of people when I left the Republican Party and after my father passed away and I became a very outspoken Trump critic say, what would your father think of you? Ah, I know what he'd think. And I'd say, my father you I, know, spent his last days railing on Donald Trump. I know exactly what he'd say. He said, I'm as proud as my son as I've ever well, been. That's very and kind he, of you. And he is doing the right things for the right reasons. You know, I'll never forget, uh, I was at the convention when your father uh, lost. As was I. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember, but the Democrats were on this side and the Republicans right. were on this side. And I was standing by someone who— Splitting the salt uh, palace. Yeah, they're splitting the salt palace. And um, I was standing there, and it, they announced it, and I went over and shook his hand and said, you know, Bob, I'm really going to uh, thank you for all your great service. But I'll never forget, about a couple weeks before he passed away, I called him, and, and you know, he was, his voice was pretty tough. And he told me a story that uh, I hope you don't mind if I share on the air. He said when he got home, you know, that was a big loss, and he was emotionally down and everything. And he said, Scott, I went and sat in my chair in my den or my office, and he said, my phone rang, and it was the most screwy number I've ever seen in my entire right. life. And he said, Remember this. I was not going to answer it, and then something prompted me, and I answered it. And he said, uh, uh, I answered it, and it was, hello, Bob, this is Barack. Right. Right after the convention. First person who called first him. First person to call him to say, we are so sorry that you're not going to be in the Senate. Now, talk about... The president today, talk about the president of Obama calling this Republican senator, and they always didn't agree, no. but, but they, they worked together. And that story to me, and, and when your dad finished telling me it, I just said, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe that. And he said, that, is, that was the indication that I knew that is working together, and this is what politics should be. No, that's absolutely right. And I think... From my perspective now politically, I am less interested in ideology than I am in decency. Uh, We have lost with Donald Trump a sense of decency in our national politics, and I'm not quite sure how we get it back. But I think if we're going to get it back, we're going to get it back with people like Scott Howell. uh, (laughs) Well, you're kind. Because that's uh, – Scott, I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. I hope they let us come back and do this again. Bennett and Hal right here live. We're getting ready to turn over to the famous Jeff Kaplan. You guys done with your on-air resume? Yeah, yeah we are. That's right. How'd we do? Are we, uh, are we hired, Jeff? It's a good show. Well, I enjoyed this. I've been listening for the last half hour. Well, we appreciate everything. And what a privilege. Thank you, KSL, for having us. Thank you, uh, Jim Bennett. Thank you to our great producer, Robin Garfield. Go, Robin, go. She's going to run for office. There you go. Live breaking news. Now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Listen at home or anywhere you go. Brought to you by Annie Hour Services. KSL FM Midvale. KSL. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.